This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and I'm joined by Russell Myers, fresh from his trip to the Middle East with Prince William. Indeed, yep. Um, we're both a bit excited today because England actually won a penalty shootout in the World Cup, which was amazing. Um, we're not going to talk a lot about football today, but we should just say that Prince William sent a rather lovely congratulations message to the team last night. He said, I couldn't be prouder of England. A victory in a penalty shootout. You have well and truly earned your place in the final eight of the World Cup. And you should know the whole country is right behind you for Saturday. Come on, England! And then signed it off W, which suggests that it is actually one from him in a more personal capacity. Absolutely, yeah, we checked it out. And um, yeah, it's from William himself. Obviously, we know he's a huge football fan, um, president of the FA, uh, Aston Villa fan. Um, and, he's, and, you know, I think as we touched upon last week, he's been following the World Cup closely um, during the Middle East visit as we were coming into Jordan it was uh, he was going to miss the match which we um, England won 6-1 against Panama but uh, he revealed to the to the journalists on the plane that he'd a- he'd actually asked the crown prince of, of Jordan to record the game for him and then we saw uh, later that evening after a couple of engagements of him landing in the country uh, of him watching the game with the crown prince of Jordan in this unbelievable man cave which was part of uh, well within the royal palace um, and they've got fantastic pictures, sort of little insight about uh, into sort of William's world um, off duty, if you like. But um, yeah, he's a huge football fan, and, and I'm sure the team would have uh, would have seen that last night. And as I mean, you know, as as a team goes through the World Cup, more and more fans go and think, oh, can I actually get to Russia? Can I get a ticket? Mm. I do want to be part of this. Obviously, a political decision was made a couple of months ago for no officials to go because of the spy poisoning incident which has been blamed on Russia Um, and you know probably then we had no idea that we would have any hope at all of doing well in this world yeah I think it surprised everyone hasn't it we're we're, we're doing particularly well all the country is uh, behind the team Uh, I'm sure uh, Duke of Cambridge is uh, one of the, the leading supporters of the team, being uh, in his official capacity, but in a personal capacity. I'm sure, like everybody, he would want to be there. Um, but yeah, th- th- this is a situation we're faced with, and we're all cheering the team on from uh, on from the UK. Oh, royal duty has its yes. dr- has its drawbacks. Enough of, enough of the football mm. stuff. If you want more football, listen to our World Cup podcast, which goes out daily throughout the tournament. Um, and we should also take this opportunity to wish our American listeners happy Independence Day. We're recording on July the 4th at lunchtime. Um, So we have lots to talk about today. Um, Zara and Mike Tyndall revealed their name of their baby last week, uh, just after we'd finished recording our podcast. Uh, We can look ahead to Prince Louis' christening and Meghan and Harry's visit to Ireland. Um, But first, obviously, we need to catch up on... Russell's travels, well, Prince William's travels, really, but <laughs> Russell's, Russell's travels with him. So 
how was your first royal tour? It was a, it was a, it was an incredible trip to be honest. I mean, I'm uh, lucky enough to uh, be able to travel the world on big breaking news stories with the Daily Mirror. Uh, I've done that for uh, many years, but this was obviously my first big royal tour or first royal tour at all. Um, and it was fantastic. It was um, it was a huge insight into the royal world, how it works, uh, the diplomacy that happens with uh, a trip like this, and, and obviously the, the Middle East is a, a particularly uh, pol- politi- fraught political landscape. And I and I think that um, yeah, this trip had been many months in the making, possibly up to sort of two years in the making. Um, and I think William was received particularly well by all quarters. Uh, I feel that, uh, well, I understand that he he said he he felt it went particularly well. Um, And I think we got to see him making his first real steps on the global stage and and, uh, taking, uh, I think it was a particularly brave decision to to do a trip like this. Uh, He could have been open to all sorts of criticism, but um, he'd obviously done his homework. He was particularly... Um, respectful of the places that he was visiting, you know, huge religious political um, l- landscape, and um, and he, he he navigated his way particularly successful, and I think it was um it was a great trip actually. Because it you know it it did really seem to to go to go big, if you like. The, the it exceeded my expectations. I think it, it was far more political than we were expecting, probably than they were expecting. I mean, I know you spoke on the podcast last week that you thought William was maybe a bit surprised in that first meeting with the president. Yes, I think so. I mean, Kensington Palace had been at, um, you know, pains to describe this trip as a non-political trip, that it was, he was there as as in official capacity, but as we well know, the the royals are apolitical. They they try not to get involved in that, that particular landscape. But... I think when you you, you know you, the bottom line is that you can't go to that region without it being political. You are meeting two sets of leaders on a huge political divide that's raged for you know this particular um, uh, grievances, but between them has raged on for decades. It's not necessarily getting any clearer. And I think when you're meeting. Uh, you know, leaders from Israel and Palestine and, and everything that comes with that, that it was uh, inescapably political. But you know, again, as we understand it, that uh, William was was not shying away from that responsibility. That he was he was in that he was in that arena. It was going to get political, and I think that when it was brought out into the open, it was it was a big relief for him and the team that he could then speak freely, and he was allowed to make those particular speeches that he did. And I think we'll, we'll touch upon that uh, a little later. But um, a- again, that allowed him to shine on the global stage. That, that probably no one thought he would be able to have that opportunity to actually do that. So let's let's talk about the third big meeting that he had. Mm. We we discussed his meeting um, with the president and the prime minister of Israel last week. Yeah. But he was yet to go um, meet the president of the occupied Palestinian territories, Mahmoud Abbas. Mm-hmm. How how did you feel that went in the picture of of the tour? Well, I think as we previously discussed last week, I mean, all the pressure was on William. As uh, you had the, pre- the president of Israel, Reuven Rivlin, had um, you know come out of nowhere, particularly p- potentially blindsided William by saying, "I want you to deliver this message of peace." Then the, sort of the global spotlight is on William, really. So then the next day, he's uh, he's meeting with uh, President Mahmoud Abbas, 
and there was only I was one of the uh, only print journalists in the world to be allowed into that meeting. They had a they had probably a um, a fifteen minute. Uh, public meeting between them and then they went uh, behind closed doors and had another 45 minute meeting and in that uh, Abbas was speaking through an interpreter but really setting out his vision for the Middle East he spoke about the two-state solution welcoming uh, Prince William uh, to saying he was delighted that he had taken the bold step to, to come to the region thanking the British government for their um, their aid contributions which are part of the UN refugee program and um, saying to him, you know, he was really looking forward to to striking up a relationship with, with Prince William and, and William didn't shy away from that. He he described potentially controversially as uh, as our two countries, the the UK and the obviously the Palestinian Authority, as we well know, not necessarily recognised on the world stage, but I think the Palestinians took that to be um, you know, particularly com- complimentary because William was in their backyard. He's visiting the uh, the president of the authority, um, and he showed um, so- soft diplomacy in a way and huge respect for the for his hosts. Uh, and I think that meeting went very well. Those, those comments were were echoed um, across the world. I know we'd we'd been carrying them all week in, in, a, in a, a Mirror Online and Daily Mirror, and. Um, when then um, William then went to visit a, a refugee camp in Palestine, you could you could tell that his 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 interest had been piqued from the potential of having a relationship with with the Palestinians, and I, and I really do believe that that's something he will continue to to carry forward in the in in, in the future. I mean, it's quite often difficult to tell when when there's an interpreter in the mix as well. But like, did it feel warm in the room? Did you get a sense of relationship? I mean, I guess it's difficult if that's the first part of the meeting and then they're off to have the private discussion afterwards yeah absolutely i mean it it wasn't the we didn't really see um a lot of the pleasantries going on it was the the media was sort of rushed into the room and then rushed out straight afterwards and so you had this sort of um fairly uh staid environment where they were both sitting there they're the advisors on either side a bass who does speak perfect english and um as we understand, it spoke in English for the rest of the meeting with Prince William. But at the public meeting, the very first time that they were together and was being recorded, and, and they both knew that it would go round the world, this, this historic meeting, um, I think it was particularly important for Abbas to speak Arabic and then for William to answer in English, and then that would be translated. So it was these, these meeting of these two individuals and speaking on behalf of their own people. Um, but I, I, again... Um, as we understand from from, from uh, the Kensington Palace uh, sources, that it, it went particularly well. They had a lunch after the meeting. They both agreed to keep in contact, and I, and I think that that relationship will um, continue as as it will do with the Israeli side. And that's something that William thinks that he can potentially um, uh, have a have a project for life, as it as it were. And you mentioned the refugee camp visit. Is that one that you were on, or was that somebody else's? I wasn't. Turn to no, join? actually, we were in Ramallah. We did. Um, we went to the afternoon cultural engagements in Ramallah, um, in uh, occupied Palestine, and that's when uh, William was given a sort of a walkthrough of a uh, a typical uh, town in in the Palestinian Authority. Um, but the hugely significant moment was was definitely um, at the refugee camp, and and William wasn't shying away from from listening to the stories to. Um, and he did, and he uh, and he did listen intently. He he met as many people as he could do. He said to Abbas, he was looking forward to meeting as many Palestinians as possible. 
even though he was just in the the, um, the region for a day. But I think that that was compounded by his statements later, which was that they, he went to a reception at the British consul in, back in East Jerusalem. And he said to the Palestinian people, you are not forgotten. And I, and I think that was hugely significant because by, by saying that, he's becoming quite statesmanlike. He's actually putting his head above the parapet. He's, he's speaking about the political aspect of the trip. And then he furthered those comments by saying, you know, he's, he, he is campaigning for a lasting peace in the region. And I, I don't, if that isn't political, then I don't know what is. And um, I was catching up on the, the report you wrote on the Sunday, kind of reflecting more on the, how the whole thing went and how William wants to take it forward and, um, and that William had actually rewritten part of his speech Definitely. after going to the refugee camp. Yeah, and uh, so th- at this engagement at the British Consul General, he had prepared a speech where he was speaking to, it was in East Jerusalem, so a, lo- a big Palestinian contingent, and he'd already made speeches um, to an Israeli audience earlier in the week. But, but this, this speech, um, as I understand it, was more than 50% written in a couple of hours after the refugee camps and uh, after the meeting with Abbas. And I, uh, and I think that gives you an indication of how important he felt the visit was, how moved he was from meeting the individuals and listening to their individual stories, that those um, snippets of the speech after uh, he said, you know, you are not forgotten, Britain it wants a lasting relationship with you. He'd already said to Abbas, our two countries, and, and again, you know, talking about a lasting peace in the region. And moving on from that, um, at the conclusion of the trip, uh, I understand that he, he was particularly moved by the whole um, experience and, and, and is, you know, really promised to, to, to keep in touch with the people he's met on all sides of the, the debate or region. Um, and I think this, this, this will be something that we see him getting involved with in the future. And you mentioned that he was, you know, he was quite statesmanlike and taking his taking his first steps on the stage. So, what was he like up up close? Well, I think I that you know, when you're seeing it in front of whether he's speaking to uh, Reuven Rivlin or whether he was meeting um, uh, the uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister, or Abbas, he was sitting there. He was taking his time. He was. It was almost like you've got a, a meeting of two political leaders rather than the sort of head of state and uh, a president or prime minister in front of him and he furthered those statements by coming out publicly and, and talking about it but but up close he's he's a particularly warm person again I hadn't spent any time but when you're um, you know in close quarters with him and you're seeing the way that he conducts himself the way he speaks to uh, whether it's the president of a country or whether it was someone who were volunteers at a refugee aid program he listens intently he had studied um, uh, for months for the trip he was particularly uh, aware of the religious and political customs that go with that region um, but I just felt that he's a you know particularly warm guy I mean we're talking about a, a, a young man I would say that because we're the same age but he is a, he's a young man he's, a, he's got a family now he has concerns that um, most of us probably do have in the wider world of, of, of a particular leaning and again so he, this may be something that he does carry on and um, and I think it's probably a, a cause close to his heart like we have seen him you know campaign uh, successfully for, for mental health or ch- uh, child's um, cyberbullying or, or something like that so yeah we, we will definitely see him on the global stage talking about this again. Um, 
Well, I was doing this podcast with Victoria. She went on a few tours, but I don't think she ever went on the same plane as the mm, Royals. It was yeah. always separate traveling. So what was it like? What's it like yeah, it's flying on the Royal no, plane? No, I, I won't disguise it. It was really exciting. So uh, we drive to RAF Braves Norton in the morning, which is sort of West Oxfordshire. Um, you arrive, it's a military base, so you have to be checked in, uh, go through a security briefing, um, the RAF Voyager uh, was an old RAF plane that was refitted in around 2014, maybe around that time, 20, 2015. Cost 10 million to refit, and it's it's essentially a huge RAF tanker plane that was uh, used for refueling jets. But now it's been refitted to take the, the royal family or senior members of the royal family and. Uh, sometimes a prime minister going to, to, to uh, and a for, foreign minister to um, engagements uh, all across the world, um, and it was great. It was a it's a very different experience not being able to queue uh, in huge queues. Uh, you were rushed through security. You go straight up on the tarmac. You you have your bag literally checked on the side of the plane. You get on. And um, it's all RAF staff on there, and it was um, it was a really cool experience actually. Good legroom. Huge legroom, which um, wasn't necessarily a problem for myself, but uh, food on board was much better than you would get on a British Airways flight or any other um, airline, to, for that matter. Um, it was uh, yeah, hugely spacious. Um, we had obviously William came down to, to say hello to some of the journalists midway through the flight, which was a, a huge privilege. Again, seeing him up close, very warm person. Uh, just basically touched upon how uh, excited he was to looking forward to the trip. Um, and yeah, it was a, it, it, a particularly good experience. I don't think I'm going to get used to flying on a new, normal commercial jet now that I've flown on the Royal Plane, but. Uh, I'm sure I'll have to get used to it at some point. Yeah, my husband's deputy political editor, so he's flown on it a few times yes, with Theresa really May fun. and actually with David Cameron. And travelling with him now on an aeroplane is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It's all compared to that. Yeah, you won't, so. can't be travelling EasyJet again. And um, so it was your it was your first trip. Did, yeah. Did William know that? Like, did he register you? Had he been briefed yes, on you no, as no. well? So when we he came down, uh, one of his uh, press sec- secretaries was sort of going. Round, sort of round the round the plane and saying, oh, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. And I got introduced to him. This is Russell. It's his first trip from the Daily Mirror. William sort of raised his hand, said hello. You know, hope, hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, there's quite a mix of people on the plane. So you've got the, the print journalists, you've got journalists from PA, print and video, a lot of TV all, all around the world. You know, the old um, uh, veterans of political reporting like Nicholas Witchell, uh, again, sort of other people from the BBC, other royal correspondents who have done this job uh, fantastically for, for many years and were great. Um, company and uh, gave me great advice on what to expect on a trip like this but I, I think even speaking to the, the veterans of the Royal Reporting they deemed this as a really successful trip um, and they said that this was definitely one of the best ones that they'd ever been on so it was a real privilege to have this as my first one um, and to, to have that access to William to see him up close with um, so many people um, and, and to go to you know one of the most well, historical places uh, on Earth, uh, both well, politically and religiously, um, hugely significant uh, venues all, all all along the trip, and it was a yeah, it was a gr- gr- great occasion. Because the Royals definitely do get to know some of the reporters. So Emily Nash, who was who yes. worked at the Mirror yep. for many years and now is at, um, Hello Magazine, she was covering 
an engagement um, with Harry and Meghan and the Queen the other day, I think. Oh, and, and Harry mentioned her, Harry gave mentioned a shout-out, yeah. So he, some, somebody had asked where, the, where he'd been uh, for his honeymoon, and he said, oh, I'm not going to te- tell you with Emily Nash scribbling, scribbling away. Scribbling away, I know. But I think he said it's not, it wasn't Namibia, which had been the hot <laughs> tip. The, yeah, so... You so get a real indication of, you know, of his relationship. Obviously, there are... Um, you know Arthur Edwards for, uh, from the Sun, royal photographer since 1977, I think. Forgive me if that's Literally wrong, Arthur, but William I think it born. is. Yeah, and he's been he's been doing it for you know four decades, um, and you see that William is a particularly polite, polite, uh, well-grounded um, guy, and and um, and, he, and, he, and for him to come down and and to, to welcome us all into. The, to the trip, and I think he he felt the significance of this trip as well. It was, um, it was it was going to be hugely significant for him, and uh, I'm sure there was some nerves before going to to somewhere like this. And it's it's definitely his biggest trip to date, and I think that will have given him huge confidence moving forward to do something like this again. And after the political side of things, the kind of the last day was a bit more personal. With a trip yeah, to definitely. I mean, this was we had the the last day was jam packed. I mean, you had his visit to the Mount of Olives. Then he went to um, which is you know one of the most significant places in Jerusalem's old city. Then you know went to the church of Saint Mary Magdalene, where he's he paid his respects to his uh, great grandmother, Princess Alice, who was Duke of Edinburgh's uh, mother. Um, her story is uh, you know, revered in, in um, all of Jerusalem, uh, all of Israel. For, for She took Jews in during the Holocaust, um, buried uh, in the Mount of Olives, and um, William went there to pay his respects. And then afterwards, he was sort of um, crisscrossing the, politi- the religious divide, really, because he went to Temple Mount, visited the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque, which are the you know, third most holy site in Islam. Uh, apart from Medina and uh, um, Mecca and Medina. Then he went to the Western Wall and we saw these incredible pictures of him putting his hand, wearing the Jewish kippah, putting his hand on the Western Wall, placing a note inside the Western Wall, which is uh, you know, one of the, the, the most holy sites of, of all of Judaism. And then after that, going to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is you know, where Jesus is believed to have been crucified and, and buried and, and is you know, arguably the, the holiest site in the Christian world. So within these three hours of a frantic last day, you had him uh, crisscrossing this religious divide, meeting religious leaders, listening to, to them all intently, and, and it was really well received. Again, that could have been quite a, a politically hot potato, that he was, he was doing all of this in one day but I think that um, speaking to you know, the professor who showed him around the, the Islamic scholar who showed him around Temple Mount and, and later the chief rabbi who showed him around the Western Wall they were you know, overjoyed that he'd taken that brave step to, to actually go on a trip like that because it sort of summarises the, the um, challenges and the fascination of that in yeah, that region definitely. with, I mean, with, it was, with it the was, three cultures it together. was fascinating to watch, to watch him um, and the people that were, were just stopping and staring and um, and you know, there was it was welcome within all quarters of of the whole trip. There, whether it was the school children coming out to see him in Jordan, and then the people at the the, the palaces and the, the residences in Israel and Palestine, and um, and then again the commentators that were you know listening intently and, and watching him and the way he would be uh, behaved uh, all week. And then obviously he went. He, 
there were there were there were hundreds of people who came out and stopped in Tel Aviv when he he went and watched a game of foot volley uh, on the beach. So um, uh, yeah, in conclusion, a, a massive a massive um, uh, massive respect to him for for taking uh, for taking it on. And uh, and and again, I think I think there's something we're, we're going to see plenty of more in the future. Did you have a personal highlight from the trip? Um, personal, the, the last day actually. Personally, I think that. Um, the way that, uh, for personally going to those places like Temple Mount, Western Wall, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I was lucky enough to, to, to go to all of them on the last day, um, yeah, particularly moving to see him at somewhere like the, the Western Wall and how that was received. You've got these you know, hugely iconic uh, historical places. Um, for, for me personally, that was a highlight, for, and, and watching um, William deal with the, 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 the attention that was surrounding him was, um, was, a, was a real privilege and I think he did particularly well. And can you give us a flavour of what the security was like there? Because obviously it is a region which is not necessarily the safest. Yes. There are things that happen yep. there on yep. a fairly regular, on a regular basis. basis. Yeah, I mean, you know what, I think a lot was, was made about the security detail and, and how it would be. Yeah, and I'm sure there was a lot of security out of sight that we didn't see. But it, was, um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't uh, overbearing at all. There was uh, maybe at Temple Mount where you have um, uh, the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque, particularly holy sites within Islam. Um, it was, he had a lot of security around him. It was Israeli security. Sort of special forces security with tear gas canisters and guns all around him. But other than that, I mean, it, when he was in Palestine, there was just um, security de- detail of the uh, personal private officers that were around him. Um, but again, it was it was fairly out of sight, and I'm sure there were people behind and back and front and centre of him. But when you were actually focusing on him, and it, and William was allowed to to go about his business to listen to the people he was um, talking to. Um, I, I think it was it was very well managed actually because it didn't it didn't feel as though it was overbearing. So I think that was a, bit, a big plus point from the from the trip. So a tour well done all all yeah, around yeah, by yeah. the size it of was, signs yeah. of things. Um, you've got another busy week coming up next week as well. I do, yeah, busy, so busy, busy week start, starting on start Monday. Start the week on Monday with uh, the christening of Prince Louis. So busy, busy week for William as well. Although he'll, he should be practiced at this by now because it's baby, baby number three. Baby number three. We've got the uh, the christening of Prince Louis is going to be taking place on uh, Monday at about four o'clock at the Royal Chapel in St James's Palace in London. Um, Louis is going to be christened by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And um, yeah, we've got a lot of odds from the bookies about who's going to be the godparents. I think we touched upon previously that George has got seven grandparents and Charlotte's got five. Godparents. Godparents, what is that? Grandparents. Grandparents. Godparents. Godparents. Um, Yeah, godparents. So yeah, the bookies are a lot of names being punted about. I think the the most favoured at the moment for godparent is a chap called... Miguel Head, who has um, he's just left his role. the The royal tour was his last job working with William. Um, Miguel Head was uh, William's private secretary, and he's worked with him for for many years. Um, and he he's going to pursue uh, activities outside the royal household. Um, Rumoured that he's going to study in, in America. Uh, and and it's, uh, Miguel Head has been, you know, he's been at William's side for for many years. He's acted as a a constant advisor and um, 
And I think that we, you know we saw the the statement put out by by William for Kensington Palace on behalf of William and when when Miguel was leaving, and it was particularly heartfelt, and that he was he was going to miss him, but he he really valued his um his advice and and and, a, and friendship that they've struck up over the past few years. So he's he's a bookie's favourite at the moment. Uh, Tigley Bork, who was the royal nanny uh, for William and Harry, and has stayed in contact with both of them. Over the years, she she left Royal Service in 1999, but apparently still very much in contact with them. Um, number three is about Laura Lopez, is, is Camilla's daughter, with uh, Andrew Parker Bowles, and then you've got um, Kate Middleton's former private secretary, who who left her job uh, recently, Rebecca Priestley. Or you could go for someone like uh, David Beckham at hundred thousand no a hundred to one or Elton John at fifty to one. So it's all both it's of all them at the weddings though. So they were both at weddings, so you, you never can tell. Or Donald Trump at a thousand to one. He's oh, probably yeah, less not, likely. Not putting but. my not putting my money on that one. I must just correct myself as well because I gave our listeners bad information last week in trying to remember the royal christenings. Charlotte was christened at Sandringham and it was George that was christened at the Chapel Royal. Right, which is well. where which is where Louis going to the same place as well. And um presumably uh, George and Charlotte will be able to get along after school and nursery yes that's, I think that's why it's been uh, scheduled in for 4pm for um, and uh, I, I don't think it will be a, a hugely time consuming event but um, we'll watch this space we'll report back next week of, um, of how it went everyone will be all dressed up I am sure and um Maybe, maybe we might get a first appearance for Lena Tyndall. Probably more likely the family, though, I would imagine. Zara and Mike and me. Because Zara is um, Prince George's godmum. And yes. quite a similar age to sort of William and, and Kate. And um, I would imagine Mike Tyndall and William and Harry have good chat about the rugby I a imagine, lot of yeah. the time. Um, so I said that they'd announced the name last week. Lena Elizabeth. Um, so you know Elizabeth. Nobody really needs to ask where uh, where that name comes from. Yep, uh, Her Majesty the Queen. You would presume. Um, and uh, Lena. Apparently, it's because they just like the name. Yeah, that's what we've been told. Just just because they like they like the name. Um, but uh, it's it's a good name. I really a great like name, it. Great name. Yeah. And, uh, but then the first question. So I I said amazing. This is a great name. But we'd only ever seen we'd seen it written down. So it was, you know, released on email and and Twitter, as tends to be the way of of things. And so I shared my story on Twitter and said, this is a great name. Congratulations to at Mike Tyndall and Zara. Um, Mike Tyndall 13, in fact. And then um, Janet Webb, um, Janet E from Tennessee, uh, she messaged back and said, is it pronounced Lena or Lena? And I did not. Then, I did not have the answer to that. So it's like, oh, great question. And then a few hours later, while I was at an awards do, I see on my phone at Mike Tyndall thirteen <laughs> replying and resolving the question. This is it: the great and the good listening to Pod Save the Queen. So, uh, so it is pronounced like Lena. So that has that has solved well, that question. Thanks for clearing that up, Mike. Appreciate uh, it. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Mike Tyndall, for clearing that up. But then he wasn't done, Marlena Koenig. Royal at Royal Musing, um, she just wanted to check baby number one. Mm-hmm. That's Maya, right? Not Mia. And he's like, no, it's Mia. See? So, well, thanks very much, Mike. And so thanks maybe to our was, listeners for, for asking a question. Yeah, thank you for the great questions and clearing all of that up. Clearly, Mike Tyndall probably checking out Twitter during the World Cup, maybe. Um, so we did see Megan at the weekend. She was out at the polo. 
looking I have to say when I saw the picture of her at the polo on the Saturday my first thought was of Julia Roberts in Pussy <laughs> Woman who's that kind of like nice brown glamorous just looking relaxed and easy and just lovely in the in the summer weather we are still in the heat wave for those who love the uh, Pod Save the Queen we UK weather update as well um, and then Megan was rocking a kind of a, a linen shirt and jeans look on the second day. And now we are waiting to see whether we will see her at Wimbledon at some stage to cheer on her mate, Serena Williams. You would hope so. I mean, to be fair, if I was Megan Markle and my mate was playing at Wimbledon, I'd be like, yep, get me some of that. And ro- it's not raining at Wimbledon box. for once. We've got some great weather. So, yes. yeah, you would be snapping up those tickets. And she needs to get on with it while she can this week probably because she's got a busy week next week with a trip to Ireland with Harry trip to Ireland on Tuesday and Wednesday next week this is going well it's not her first time I think we've touched upon this before that she has been to Ireland before with the uh, One World Vision uh, One Youth Vision um, charity it's going to be Harry's first trip to, to Ireland as well so we, we've just got some, some details and um, there's going to be no trip to the Guinness factory no trip to the Guinness factory. What? Uh, so, so personally gutted. Maybe I'll try and sneak in a trip myself and, and send you some pictures, Anne. But um, yeah, there's gonna it's gonna be fairly political meeting with the, the Taoiseach and the president. A um, couple of engagements to uh, which which is uh, going to Croke Park, the the world famous Gaelic football stadium. Um, then there's going to be a couple of engagements, but in t- with. Um, uh, both both of them going to the Book of Kells, going to which is a look at the Book of Kells, which is hugely historical. Uh, it's it's labelled as one of the greatest treasures of Western Europe. It's a it's a book which contains four Gospels of the New Testament from the ninth century, and it contained they're going to have a little walk about uh, um, across Trinity College, which is obviously the world famous uh, university in Dublin. Um, a memorial, um, uh, which is all about the, the, the great Irish famine for, in, the, in the 1800s. And then they're going to go to a museum and then go to a technology lab. But yeah, as I said, no trip to the Guinness Museum. So I can't, I'm, um, can't believe it, to be honest. I would imagine they might find somewhere to have a Guinness. Fingers somewhere crossed. Along, somewhere Fingers along crossed. The and you way. never know, I might be there to witness it or indeed have a tip on myself. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But um, yeah, it's going to be... I think Ireland are really looking forward to the trip. It's um, obviously the capital, uh, hugely significant moment for them to go over. It's their first royal trip abroad. Um, and let's see how they do. I think um, every, everyone's looking forward to it, seeing how they do. Listen, we've seen um, Harry and Meghan... Uh, sort of old ha- hands at this now welcoming people she's particularly warm and she's meeting and greeting so I don't think it will be any different over in Dublin and um, I th- I'm, I'm sure it'll be a hugely successful trip but no royal plane this time no royal plane for me this time it's a uh, it's um, Ryanair on the way oh Ryanair. <laughs> one extreme to the <laughs> other <laughs> it is yeah so um, maybe they're just trying to bring me back down to earth and I'll try and get back on the royal plane as soon as possible but uh Maybe not next week. Could be. All right. Well, I think that's enough for this week. We'll have plenty to talk about next week as well. So um, do subscribe to the podcast. Give Russell a follow on Twitter if you aren't already, because he will be tweeting, I am sure, from his travels next week. And he is at RJ Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. I'm at Anne Gripper. Uh, A-N-N-G-R-I-P-P-E-R and who knows you may end up in a conversation with Mike Tyndall at some stage Uh, thank you for joining us this week once again and we'll be back before you know it but until next time Pod Save the Queen 